John 13, verse 31 through 35. Let me go ahead and read it, and it reads like this. When he had gone out, talking about Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is, oh, I'm sorry, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me pray for us real quick. Uh, Lord, I, I just I pray, Lord, that the truth of your text, Lord, is just is, is just brought to life, Lord, more than anything. Father, I pray that as we preach and, and, and as you allow us to investigate this passage, Lord, that the beauty of your son, Father, will just be made known to us, Lord. I pray that you will push our hearts to accepting the realities of who Christ is and who you've given him to be, Father. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us to be able to observe what's here, Father, and to follow it out, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you allow myself as I preach uh, for it, for for the people of Story Church, Father, I pray that you will just allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight, Father. Lord, I ask all these things, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, the passage I want to talk about today is a new commandment, a new commandment, right? One of the primary reasons I wanted to pick this passage when I when Jeremy said, "Hey, man, can you come step in and preach for me here, man?" and and Jeremy gave me the he gave me the freedom to say, "Hey, man, preach whatever you want," right? And I was okay. Good, because I'm going to avoid certain books, right? I don't want to preach through the Psalms because I'm too emotional to preach through Psalms. I don't want to be up here weeping and look weird, right? But, uh, but one of the main things is one of the primary things that I do as, a, as a, one of the coaches for Orchard is I'm constantly going around speaking to my church planners about, hey, guys, this is the way we need to engage the area, how we need to love the city. This is how we need to love. This is how we can kind of rally our people around doing so. I find myself in this passage quite a bit. When I talk about just the new commandment, the reality is like early on, if you read through this, you see the events and how they've occurred. And it's easy to start to miss certain things in the passage, to which I was guilty early on, too. And so as I began to coach guys through this and referencing this passage, I started to realize the beauty of what's here in the new. Commandment. And that's what I want to present to you guys today. So to do so, I've got three points. I am a three point outline guy. Just so you guys know, I will reference my three points. Over time, it has helped me to not go off on tangents because I have the uh, I can do that. So want to hone myself in on the three points. So let me give you guys the three points about the new commandment. The first one is a need for a new commandment, a need for a new commandment. The second point is the mission of the new commandment. And then the third is the fuel for the new commandment. So first, the need for the new commandment, the mission of the new commandment, fuel for the new commandment. All right. So let me go right in here to the need of the new commandment. I want to say very early on, one of the things that we see as far as Jesus engaging his disciples and even just the overall culture, that the idea of commandments was everything that their faith was built on. Right? The idea that God said, do these things, don't do these things, do this thing, don't do this thing. As we know, like I'm, if, if, you, if you know much, I know it's kind of a nerdy thing to do, but like they had 613 commandments and all that stuff. But it was mainly the way that they were to relate to God, right? And God gave commandments to say, do these things, don't do these things, right? And they all, during that time, understood that their relationship with God and it was them to obey these commandments, right? Everything that God laid out, that was their relationship to God. They knew that. So they were, it wasn't new to hear Jesus say, commandments, I give you this. 
I give you another commandment for this. It was normal for them. It was normal for them. But why, if they had so many commandments, did Jesus would offer a new, a, a new one? Jesus would say, hey, guys, here's a new commandment. And I would say one of the main reasons why I think there was a need for Jesus to give a new commandment is because I think Jesus was infusing what they knew, which is commandments, to what Jesus had always been about is the heart of the commandment, which is love. There's not been a commandment that actually has expressed for you to just straight up love. Now, there are commandments that are similar, like in Leviticus 19, there's a commandment where God is talking to the Israelites and he's talking about vengeance. And he says, hey, guys, don't 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 uh, don't be vengeful to other people. And he says, just love your neighbor as yourself. There's a passage that even in that it's not specifically him just giving the command to say, hey, just love. But he's saying, hey, don't seek vengeance. Love them as yourself. So in many ways, even in that passage, God is giving them the, the way to say, hey, loving your neighbor is really based on how you see fit to do so, right? Just whatever you don't want done to yourself, just do that. We don't see that happen much else in the other commandments. It's, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. But what we notice, even in certain characters of the New Testament, like Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm going to beat up on them a little bit this morning, but uh, the commandments themselves didn't produce love. Like a command itself didn't produce love. We know that. Look at the old Ten Commandments, right? Do not steal, do not kill, do not this, do not that. Does any of that at any given time produce a love for God? Here's what I mean. When I am driving through Mayfield and it gets really congested up here, right, which is one of the reasons why I avoid this area around a particular time, to be really honest. And when I'm tempted to drive around my very slow neighbor who's driving in front of me, right, and I mean, they may be going to speed limit or not. You know, that's not the point, whatever. But, uh, but when I'm tempted to go around them, right, like tempted to just be like, ah, let me just go around them. And then I look over at the speed limit, and I, of course, then I look at the Mayfield cop that's, you know, over there on the other side, you know, not important too. But then I realize, I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'll do 35. <laughs> I'll do 35. And I'm driving. Here's what doesn't happen to me in that time. In that time, I don't have an overflow of affection for the lawmakers of Mayfield. I just don't. Then at time, I don't stop and look at that and say, 35, I'm going to, you know what? The mayor, it's just so, I just, I just love them. They're so great. Just love it, right? I may say it sarcastically, right? But I don't truly mean it, right? Because the command for me to only go 35 doesn't produce a love for the lawmakers of Mayfield for me. Like, my heart is wicked, it's broken, it's fallen. The command in and of itself doesn't produce a love for the lawmakers here. And in the same way, the commandments in and of themselves don't produce love. That's why Jesus had to give a command to actually love because commandments themselves don't produce love. It doesn't produce love for the one who gave the law, nor does it produce love for anybody who also is subject to the law. Again, I'll use the same, use the same analogy. Even while I'm driving past my slow neighbor and I look over it, I want to do 35, policeman over there, don't want to get a ticket. And what I'm not thinking in my head is, you know what, that's 35, I love the lawmakers here, and I'm just... This, I just have an affection for this car that's just driving really slow. Like, they're just enjoying life and just, they just want to do some sightseeing. That's why they're going so slow. I just love it. It doesn't create an affection for me. Honestly, more than anything, it may say, man, just get off the road. Let me drive past, right? Come on. God's still working on me, so don't, just don't, don't hold me to that, guys. Don't hold me to that. But that's what it also ends up doing for me, right? It doesn't help me create an affection for the person that I want to drive around. Even the law to follow that law of 35 miles per hour doesn't create a love for the other people that are also subject to it. In the same way that in the New Commandment, in the the Ten Commandments, where it says, don't steal, don't kill, does any of that actually produce love? I mean, it's loving, right? But it doesn't produce love. I've got a a neighbor, too. uh, So my son just turned six recently, and uh, last last week. And, you know, because of this, uh, you know, this strange thing called the pandemic, I don't know if you guys heard about it, but inside 
that we've had to do kind of like a movie night thing. We can't go out and about and take my son to movies and stuff just yet. I think we're starting to. So we did like this movie thing. My wife and I, my wife, she, she's, she's great at kind of DIYing things. So she made like a, a home, like a, like I guess a pro, like a projection screen with PVC. And I was just amazing, like a bed sheet. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy, right? But like I knew that we had to do that again last week. So last week I was cutting my grass because I was going to invite my, my, uh, my niece, my niece over and my parents and my in-laws. And so we were going to do that. And so I'm, I'm mowing the lawn. I'm thinking to myself, like, man, we got to put this thing together. Now, all of the PVC pipe that made up this thing has been broken apart and inside our garage for the past year. So I'm like, man, I hope we can find all the pieces. And then my guy, and it's like two days away. I'm like, man, we got to do this, man. We got to, oh, gosh, okay, all right, I got cut my grass. And then like two houses down, my neighbor, Sean, like I see him because our, 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 uh, in our backyard, the fence is really low. And so I see my neighbor two, two, yards, two yards down. I hear like a loud kind of like, you know, air mattress blow up sound. And I look over and this dude, has a blow-up screen, and it's like he's blowing it up, like, and I'm over here, like, grunting as I'm trying to cut my grass, and I'm like, I got to do this PVC pipe, and I look over, and this dude's thing is going, and that was it. That moment, in that moment, I coveted. Like, I wanted what he had. I'll be really honest. I looked over there a couple houses down, and I said, and I, I called him, I said, Sean, hey, man, hey, man, relax, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it's way too much, right? You know what I'm saying? Because I know I won. I'm just joking with him, but I'm just like, hey, man, that's way too much, man. Just, you know, let's, let's relax. Right? But I covered it. Like, I wanted it. In that space, me wanting what he had, and even if I said, okay, I'm, I got to just be content with what I have in my own thing, which is what I came to, that didn't produce love for Sean. It was loving, right? Loving to no longer decide that I want what he has, it, but it didn't produce love for Sean himself. Right. He may have been subject or a benefit to me trying to follow that command, but that didn't produce a love and affection for Sean. It was loving, but it wasn't. I can't say that I loved Sean in that moment. This is why there was a need for a new commandment of love, because in many ways, what Jesus is saying to the to the to the disciples here is that they are they understand commandments. God has given them many commandments. But Jesus is in his parting words to them before he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's saying to them, hey, guys, hey, guys, listen, listen, listen. I give you a new commandment, a new commandment that means I'm commanding you to love each other. There was a need for it. We're not naturally going to do it. We're not naturally going to see it. But Jesus says, look, commandments himself don't produce love. So there was a need for a commandment to love. And that's why Jesus gave it. But then also, too, which leads me to my second point, was that Jesus also attaches a mission to this new commandment. Here's what I mean. We look at verse 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, implicitly, if you would just take a look at the setting, there's a missional dynamic to this. So here's what I mean. Jesus is not preaching at the Sermon of the Mount where there are a bunch of people. Believers, non-believers, disciples, not. He's only talking to his disciples at this moment. Only talking to them. Like the setting is he puts a thing around his waist and he starts washing feet and feet. They didn't have shoes like we did, so of course feet was really dirty. He was really serving them, like for real serving them. And he's doing that and he's telling them, hey guys, I want to tell you something in particular. It was very specific to his believers, to his group of followers, to his group of followers. It wasn't a general love. Now, again, this doesn't mean that Jesus is not saying don't love neighbors or people who are around you. It's clear. But Jesus is giving them a command to say, hey, guys, love one another. 
One of the other reasons I know that, even through the setting, is that the one, I guess, disciple that we all knew really, you know, in it for the real reason, right, he was sent away right before Jesus gave this command, right? Like, Jesus comes, and he's already, he's watching, and he says, one of you guys are going to betray me. And then before you know it, he says, the one I give this to, gives it to Judas, and Judas leaves. And because I get a chance to preach this that often, I, I want to go on record to say, I always think it's interesting when we think about how Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and then he gives them something to imply that it's this person, and he leaves, and everybody's still like, so who is he? You know what I'm saying? Like, I always find I just want to go on record and say it's really funny when you read it. Like, I'm sure there's a scholarly reason why that happened. I have not reached into it because I think it's still funny. It's almost like Jeremy said, hey, the guy that I hand this microphone to is going to preach today. He hands it to me, and everybody's like, who is it going to be? It's kind of how it happened. It's, it's hilarious, right? But anyway, the way the only disciple who truly wasn't built onto the mission, and then he gets really serious and engages them and says, listen, from your love for each other, all people will know you're my disciple. Here's the missional aspect behind that, because what Jesus is saying to them is that if you guys are truly my disciples, loving one another, then people who don't know me will actually have a better understanding of who I am based on the way you all love one another. Well, how do we see this? Well, let's flip over to Acts 2. Uh, again, you don't have to go. I just I know in, in the interest of time, I won't. I, but I'll explain it. I just want to Acts. But uh, in Acts, you see that. The early church, after Jesus had ascended, given the Holy Spirit, the early church starts to form. Uh, the people to, to, to make themselves come under the teaching of the, of the apostles. They're meeting every day. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're having a community. Then it also says in 40, around 42 to 47, it says that they all start to, start to kind of engage and have one heart and one mind. And it says they all start to give as each other had need. And then it says they all kind of brought it to the top and started to administer the things, right? And then Scripture says that then they grew favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number daily. Like, this is actually the thing that Jesus is pointing to in John 13 is the very thing that we see played out in Acts 2, right? Here's the missional reality behind this. They start to get together through community, them knowing and loving each other. They understand each other's needs through actual engagement. Like, we can miss the reality of just what happened through the events versus how they actually happened. For someone to know that somebody else had need means that one person had to speak about them having need or somebody had to be close enough to understand that there was a need that needed to be, that needed to be uh, dealt with. Like, this is how it happened in Acts 2. Like, they all got together, they're all engaging each other, and they're realizing, hey, man, such and such has this need. Or he came to me and said, hey, man, I've got this need. Or this person there, I have that need. And then the community starts to say, of one heart and mind, hey, it shouldn't be like this. Let's start to create a way that we can start to make sure these needs are met. And so that's what they start to do. And then before you know it, when it says, then they had favor with all the people, right? This means that they were loving each other in a display. Like, there were people that were able to see tangibly them loving each other because they grew favor with all people, and the Lord added to that number. Like, the Lord, if it was just them together, and it was just the favor was just inside the church, what number is, what is God adding to that, right? Like, it would just be them, right? It would just be them loving each other. But it's the reality that they were loving each other in such a way that they were also engaging their community and the people outside the community to bring them into the community of a true community of love. And this ends up creating more and more disciples. This is exactly what Jesus is referencing here in John 13, where he's saying that your love for each other is one of the greatest evangelistic tools to reach outside neighbors. 
Like, have we considered that truly? Like, as a church, I think oftentimes we can think it's just about, you know, talking about worldview, engaging them on worldview. It's about just telling them that they're wrong on this, a gospel track, doing this, doing that. But have we considered that one of the greater tools to reach our unbelieving neighbor is actually loving the people within our Christian community well? And in a way that's on display, where we're also inviting people that aren't in that community into the community for them to see what true redemption looks like. And that's what happens in Acts 2. That's one of the greater things and greater purposes for us as the church is to love one another so that people who don't know Jesus get an accurate depiction of who he is based on the way we love each other. That's the mission that Jesus is given here. Jesus is saying, hey, man, I'm getting ready to leave, y'all. I'm getting ready to be going. You can't follow me, right? Everybody see <laughs> Peter. Oh, my gosh, Peter. No offense, Peter. Peter. But Peter in the text, right? Peter is just, you see, Peter is just on 10 all the time. Jesus says, I got to wash your feet. He said, don't wash my feet. Jesus said, I got, if I don't wash you, you don't have no part with me. He said, okay, wash all of me. And then after this, he's like, one of you will betray me. Not me. It's just like Peter's just on 10. But Jesus is, is think of it. He's getting ready to leave. And it's one of the parting things that he's going to say to them. It's like, listen, guys, listen, I want to give you a new commandment, meaning that you have to do this. But also, it's a commandment of love for you guys to love each other. And he's saying, listen, where I'm going, you're going to come eventually. But just know your love for each other will help you bring more people with you. That's the mission of the new commandment, is for us to love one another, is for us to engage one another as believers. And in that, we're also able to reach outside of our community to bring people into it so that they can also experience the redemptive love that the church has so that they can believe in the Christ that we all are disciples of and become discipled. That is the Great Commission, not to make converts, but to make disciples. You guys are in a, 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 a series right now about discipleship. Like, this is why Jesus uses this language here. Like, this is an active reality of us constantly engaging, constantly loving, constantly showing for us to go outside of the community, bring people into the community to see what we're doing here so that they can look to us and say, you guys must be disciples of that guy, and I want to be a disciple of him too. And they can have a space to be discipled and loved and be invited into the same mission. That's the mission, guys. That's the mission that Jesus is out here for the commandment, right? But if we see that if this is the mission of the new commandment, right, we knew that there was a need for it first, and we see that there was a mission attached to this, then now I guess the question ends up being that if there was a need for a commandment, we fully do all commandments that were called, but yet he still gave us one with, it, with, a, with a mission attached to it, then the question is what is supposed to fuel this new, fuel this new commandment? Here, I want to give you, just point you out to the scripture, and then I want, and I have like three implications about it. So the scripture of what the fuel is here is in verse 34, where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And here's the fuel, just as I have loved you. Then he says, you are also to love one another. That's the fuel. The fuel is like, hey, my example. Now, that is such a loaded statement to hear from Jesus, because there are three ways that I think I would I processed it if I would have been one of the disciples there, right? I would have said, I would have thought of it knowing what I know now and knowing what they knew. I would have seen it. It would have been three implications. There was a present day implication, a future implication, and also a past implication. Present implication, I would have looked at to say to love Jesus, to love each other would have been doing exactly what Jesus did. Jesus roped, you know, put thing around himself and start washing feet. I would have thought, hey, that's this is what he means, right? Service to one another. Like, that was the way they would have processed it in the present time to say, okay, this just means everything that we've done for the past three years. He's loved us. He's been our greatest friend. He's went here with us, did this with us. It just meant that presently what he wants us to do is just, sac is just give things to one another, serve one another. 
And to which they're absolutely right to process it that way. To say, Jesus is saying here that through acts for one another, us loving one another, this is one of the ways that we are to be fueled to engage each other as he did it for them. But I think what they wouldn't have understood at the time, though, that there was a future implication to this. And that would be that when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, he will say in John 15 that there's no greater love than you lay down your life for your friends. But that's exactly what he ends up doing. See, at the time, they didn't know that that's what he was getting ready to do. They had hints. They had an understanding. But what Jesus was going to do is he was going to go on the cross. And by him going on the cross, he would take on the penalty for all of those who would believe their sin. And he would be put to death. And then he would resurrect, showing that those who have faith in him can now be redeemed through Christ. That's what he did for service. He said, I'm going to die for you, for you to be able to see who I am, for you to be able to be redeemed through Christ. I'm going to die for you. Loving you meant me sacrificing my life for you. And when I call you to love one another, I mean nothing short of that. This is what the future reality of this is for them. That Jesus is going to go on the cross and do that for them. And he's calling them to love one another in the same way so that people who don't know him will know who Jesus is through the way we lay down our lives for each other. That's one of the fuels for how you are to love and engage. But we also know that through that, even when we flip over to Acts with the Holy Spirit coming, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, guys, I'm about to resurrect. I mean, I'm about to, I'm about to ascend. I'm going to send somebody. Don't do anything until I send them. And so he sends the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit that acts as a seal, but also causes us to walk in these ways. So now we're not only commanded to do what we're supposed to do, we also are equipped now through the Holy Spirit. It's one of the same things Jesus offers to them. So now they no longer just have the command. They also are equipped to carry it out through the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascends. That has such a future implication for them, right? To equip them and give them a command. But then the past implication of it is what I think is so crazy about, about the whole thing. The reason why I say it's a past implication is because in, in our in Orthodox faith, we understand Jesus was not a created being. He always existed, right? But just imagine C.S. Lewis calls it the dance of the Trinity, right? Very early on, even in the creation of humans, there was just, in, in existing in the community of the Trinity was just love. Them loving each other, engaging each other, loving each other, engaging. And out of the overflow of that, humans were created. Let me tell you why I think this is important, right? Because in that overflow of that community existing, they create humans. And so now outside of that, inside that community, we are invited back into it. We walked away from that community. Now we are fallen creatures. And what does Jesus do? This is another way that he lays down his life and loves us the way that loves, tells us to love them the way that he's loved us is that he walks outside of that community to pull us back into it. That's part of what he does on the cross, solidifying the reality that one of the overflows of a great community is outreach, meaning that he's saying to you guys that in the same way that I, through the perfect love that was existing in the Trinity, we reached out of that to pull back in. And now through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he gives that same charge to the church for us to love one another, reach outside of us to pull people back in. And the hope is, the hope is as they would be able to see our community loving each other, surrounded by the relationship that was redeemed most that was needed was man to God through Jesus Christ. We can now love each other in a way that actually exemplifies that love and point people to Jesus by the way that we love each other. That's, that's the hope here. This is the fuel for our mission here is that we can actually say we have a God who loved us well, who reached outside of himself to pull us back in because of his love and now tells us and invites us into the same thing. Story Church, that's my, my layout to you guys. It's like, guys, what have we thought that Maybe one of the greater ways to reach some of our unbelieving neighbors is by pressing into Story Church 
as a whole, pressing into loving each other and inviting people into that community so that they can see the one who actually redeems the community that you're pointing people to. It's part of the hope. One of the things I've realized is when you're trying to reach people, uh, not, you know, it's not a shot at gospel tracks and this and that. It's not a shot at any of that type of stuff. What I've realized, though, is that most people who end up coming to faith, it mostly is through a relationship. Some people may hear it through this and then may turn, but a lot of it is through a relationship, through engaging people through love, because at our nature, we are communal beings. We crave relationship. So that's the basis that we're even calling people to, is a redeemed relationship to the one who created them. And we point them to a community where that reality is happening in hopes that they would see who Jesus is, identify us as his disciples, want to believe in him, become a disciple of him through that loving community, and now would be invited into the very same mission of reaching outside of that community to pull people into it. That's the hope story, church. That's my parting words to you all is just to say, look, the hope is that you guys will love each other in the same way that Jesus was getting ready to leave. And this is, if you think about like just just to see the heart of Jesus in this passage, that Jesus was really, it was so imperative for him to say these, I'm getting ready to leave. This is the thing I want to combine. Your idea about obedience through commandments and what I've told you about the heart of what those commandments point to is love. And I'm commanding you to do those two things and that that will produce more believers, more disciples, and that people can know who the God that created them is through Jesus Christ. It's a call for us as a church. It's a call for us as a church that's what we're called into to be brought into. And Jesus' heart was so much so that in that moment, that's one of the last things he ends up telling them to do. Love each other, guys. Love each other. Because it's only through this love that they will be able to see who I am, who I am depicted as, who I am through your love. And you reach them to pull them in so that they would meet me and understand me and know who I am and be invited into the same mission. That's the hope. And I pray that you all, Story Church, would lean into each other, continue to lean into each other for the hope of Mayfield to reach this area. That that will be one of the greatest tools that you will have to reach your neighbors. It will be your love for each other on display and through actively engaging them and inviting them into the community. Let me pray for us.